Oh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Evening Dhamma. So we're continuing on today with Chitta Visuddhi, the second of the seven purifications. Chitta Visuddhi, Chitta means mind. So the second one is actually the purification of, of, of mind or the mind. And it's important to explain why this is the second purification instead of the seventh because it seems like, well, wouldn't that be the last step to purify the mind? The thing is, in, in Buddhism, in an ultimate sense, the mind doesn't exist. So when we talk about purification of mind, in an ultimate sense, we mean the purification of mind states moments and your mind can be pure those mind states can be pure even for an unenlightened individual it's not the last step it's the first step and so it's not a goal in itself but it's a means because when those mind state when the mind states are pure when you have moments of mental purity it's not the end. It doesn't mean your mind is not going to become impure again. But if applied in the right um, in the right way, the purification of those mind states can lead to a shift in in the nature of of or one's mental makeup the point where uh, mental purity becomes more common and eventually becomes a, a permanent state so the mind states that arise are always pure but in the beginning it's it's a means that purity of mind will allow us to see clearly and so whenever we talk about meditation and this this debate between samatha meditation the jhanas and Vipassana we should always keep that in mind that the whole purpose of sitting down to meditate in the first place is to attain this purity of mind to attain states and extended states of mental purity and I've said this recently in our talk about the Eightfold Noble Path, but it bears repeating that, that this is one part of the path where it appears quite clear. It's not just an opinion and it's not just an interpretation, but it's quite um, clearly true that there are many ways. And there were many ways. And the Buddha taught many ways by which one can cultivate purity of mind to we oversimplify it perhaps we simplify it into two ways there are two ways to go about this the first is to practice tranquility meditation and when you get really good at that 
you're able to keep your mind pure and then you can shift that purity to focus on reality but this is the kind of practice that isn't focused on reality you focus on a concept get your mind really tranquil and then okay then apply it to ultimate reality that was a common way it seems it was a common sort of practice there were many practices that were acknowledged to not lead to enlightenment metta for example it won't, it won't enlighten you but if you practice it diligently it leads you to the mental purity that can then be applied to focus on reality and lead to enlightenment and many meditations like that the other way of course is to begin by practicing sati practicing mindfulness of ultimate reality focusing on the problematic states pain, stress even defilement and as a result of focusing on them then you slowly build up this mental purity but at the same time as building up moments which is what we do right? moments of mental purity rather than long extended periods but those moments because they're focused on reality it actually saves time because those moments allow you this glimpse into reality and it takes time you have to in the beginning you can't see clearly even though you're focusing on reality because unlike with tranquility meditation your mind is not clear there's not this purity of mind so it takes time even though you're looking to see and with samatha meditation you're, you're 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 looking but you're looking at the wrong thing or you can see but you're not looking is the point with vipassana meditation you're looking but in the beginning you can't see with samatha meditation you're not looking you're looking at something else but you can see you learn to see fairly quickly so either way it has to come together in the end and in the end what we are talking about is um, momentary concentration that's focused on ultimate reality there has to be this the jhanas whenever you talk about these absorbed states the mundane jhanas cannot uh, well depending what you mean by jhana in fact but uh, trance states that are focused on a single object can't help you you have to give them up relinquish them and focus what very well might be called a jhana but focus your attention on reality to see impermanent suffering non-self to see the four noble truths so but when we describe these two paths there's a lot to say about the various ways and it's worth going quickly over just for the sake of completion go over the various ways one can practice meditation and the texts talk about 40 types of meditation they're the 40 kamatana kamatana means meditation kamma means activity or action or work tana means uh, base these are the bases for, for work or they are the building a base or uh, I don't know how, how exactly it's translated Kamatana we translate as meditation. It's a work that you do. Something you have to work at in your mind. So 40 of them. The first 10 are the kasina. K 
Xena is just a appears to have been a a tool that was used. It's not as far as I can think, it's not really mentioned in the original texts. It doesn't appear that the Buddha talked about them very much, if at all, in the text, but it seems clearly to be it it's the obvious answer to how to practice rudimentary meditation. I mean, these are the very simplest of meditations, meditating on a color, a light, meditating on an element, earth, air, water, fire. They're the most simple and basic objects. And it gives you the idea that you really you can focus on anything as long as the object allows you to gain purity of mind, these ones probably being the best. You know, fire, a candle flame, that kind of thing. And with these ones, when you focus on it, you would say to yourself, fire, fire, earth, earth, white, white, or so on. And by repeating that to you, to yourself, just like we do with insight practice, your mind becomes focused on the object. But because this object is stable, satisfying, controllable, unlike our meditation, it allows you to feel quite peaceful and calm, right? So you're able to see. Problem is you're not looking. White isn't going to tell you anything about reality. Neither is a candle flame. There's ten of them. One have, don't have to enumerate them. The second ten are are uh, asuba. Asuba has to do with seeing, thinking about the body in a dead state, a dead body. So the body is in various states of decomposition. We went over this in our study of the Visuddhi Manga, in the book. Asuba is um, particularly useful for people who are who are um, overwhelmed by lust, lust for the body, for sexual desire, and so on. It's quite common, so it's a big, useful meditation practice. So not only does this focus your mind, it helps retrain the mind and free the mind temporarily from sexual desire. So you think about the dead body. It, it's also good because of, um, well, no, it's mostly to do with loathsomeness and seeing the body out for how disgusting it is. Because as you watch the body decompose, and they would actually do this, they would find a dead body, and sometimes people who looked after graveyards or so on, charnel grounds, would let the monks know, hey, we got a ripe one for you. Come see this one. This will be good for you monks. So they would go and and meditate, walking, doing walking meditation perhaps, and just focusing their attention on the corpse. It's a good means of letting go of the attachment to the body. If you've never looked at, it, at a dead body or, or the insides of a dead body, watch people cutting it open, that kind of thing, it's it's quite a, a shock to actually see it. It's one thing to think about it, but really makes you think about this body in a whole new light. So it's useful as a meditation in that way. There's ten different state, states. Uh, the third, the third set of ten are the anusati. Anusati really just means object of contemplation, sati, right? Being something you're mindful of. So mindfulness of the Buddha, mindfulness of the Dhamma, mindfulness of the Sangha, mindfulness of morality, thinking about how, how moral and ethical we are is a good way to calm your mind down. 
Jaga Nusati, where you think about all the good gifts you've given, all the chair how charitably charitable you've been. It really calms the mind down. Deva Nusati is apparently a thing where you think about the angels. It's actually something like focusing on the qualities of mind. It's it's an odd one, but it's in there. Uh, Marana Nusati is another one when you think about death. That's a good one that allows you to cultivate um, a sense of urgency and really wakes you up. Oh yes, I'm going to die. When you think about your death. Meditation on death. Kaya uh, Gatta Sati is another, it's really, this is where you break the body up into its constituent parts. Kesa, Loma, Naka, Dantatajo, if you've ever heard that kind of meditation. The 32 parts of the body is another good good one for uh, um, people who have problems with sexual desires. Instead of thinking about the dead body, think about the parts of the living body. And you realize there's nothing really attractive about the human body. The hair on the head is like, well, it's all kind of icky. If you've never, uh, if you don't shower, if you don't wash it, it gets kind of yucky. And then if you look inside, all the stuff inside us, it's all quite yucky. Disgusting. There's no sugar and spice inside. Um, then there's Anapanasati fits in here. So people who practice Anapanasati is probably the, by far the most common and it's the one the Buddha recommended the most. And generally Anapanasati was used to cultivate tranquility first, not insight. So it was meant to calm the mind and to enter into a trance state. And then you could also apply the same technique or the same sort of techniques, shift your focus and focus then on, on ultimate reality. Um, but the point is with Anapanasati is that you're focused on the concept of the breath. Breath is just a concept. Breath isn't real. What's real is the, the elements, the pressure. When you breathe, it's pressure or it's heat or cold, the cool feeling of the air flowing. These are the elements, the, the aspects of experience. But the breath going in and going out, the idea of something going in and out is, is just a concept. Um, so if you focus on saying in, out, in, out, it's, it's really focused on a concept because that won't change. In will always be in, out will always be out. It's kind of splitting hairs because it can go both ways, but it certainly can be simply a means of cultivating tranquility, which is what it is in this context. And then there's one called Upasamanusati, which means focusing on Nibbana as an object. And this, I think, only works for those people who have experienced Nibbana. But when you have experienced Nibbana, then when you think about it, it's apparently another way to calm the mind. I mean, it is calming to think of, of course, because it's such a sublime state. So that's 30. Then we have the four Brahmaviharas. Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, which is love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. These are quite popular and were quite popular, and of course are really great meditations in their own right, very useful 
um, on a daily basis to sort of straighten out your attitude towards others. Um, but the object is still beings, and because it's beings, it can't lead you to enlightenment because those beings don't exist in, in our experience. Our experience is not of beings, our experience is of well, experiences. So focusing on beings is great to calm the mind, but it's not enough to become enlightened. Then we have the four arupakamatanas, which are meditation, uh, well, they're, they're actually advanced meditations after you've cultivated jhana, but they are separate meditations in themselves, so there's infinite space, someone focusing on infinite space, infinite consciousness, uh, nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. These are, these are advanced meditation te techniques, and I don't really want to go into them in much detail. And the last two are uh, ahare patikula sanya, which is focusing on the repulsiveness of, of food, watching how the food goes into your body and so on, how it is in the mouth, and realizing mm, how you know our attachment to food is also kind of silly because food is is not really that wonderful, not as wonderful as we think of it. Helps you let go of the attachment, addiction to food. And finally, datu manasikara, which or datu vivatana kamatana, which it means to separate the body into elements. And datu manasik, uh, datu, uh, datu vivatana, I think is what it's called, it can be used for samatha, but it can also be used for vipassana. And this is the key. Because you can practice any one of these 40 meditation techniques to calm the mind down. But the Visuddhi Magga does a good job. It, it goes through all these, and then at the very end, when it begins to talk about wisdom, it says, someone who practices samatha cultivates one of those 40. Someone who practices vipassana starts with one of them, but, but focuses on it in such a way as to see reality. And that one is, is the dhatu, the, the elements. And it says, even one who has practiced samatha has to switch and focus on the elements. That's the way to do it. You can't easily focus on the mind in the beginning of your insight practice. It's not really clear. It's not accepted as the way of doing things. You probably could, um, but it's more tricky. And so the accepted way of doing things is to focus on the body. The body is here, easy to experience, easy to focus on. And you focus on that aspect of the body that is real, which is our experiences. So the earth element. The earth element means hard and soft. When you feel the softness of the floor, the hardness of the the um, the chair that you're sitting in, or that that sort of thing, hardness and softness, the pressure, um, the pressure in your back when you sit up straight, or the pressure in your legs when you sit cross-legged, the pressure in your stomach when it expands, the pressure in your head when you have a headache. Pressure is the air element, and the fire element is heat and cold. When you feel heat when you feel cold. These are real. These are what we experience. These are the elements of physical experience. And when you focus on those, so when we watch the stomach rising, we're not technically practicing anapanasati, though you could say we are. 
But if you look at the way they, it was categorized in the ancient meditation manuals, no, we're practicing mindfulness of the elements. So watching the stomach rise is the air elements. And it's not air as in this puffy stuff. It's air as in the tension. And when the stomach rises, there's a tension. When the stomach falls, there's a feeling of a release of tension. Those two experiences are very real. They're, they're a physical aspect, a physical a phenomenon, an experience. They're physical phenomena. They arise and they cease. They're not under our control. They're not amenable to our control. They're not predictable. You watch your stomach. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's stuck. Sometimes it's pleasant. Sometimes it's unpleasant. And so it's a very good object for seeing impermanent suffering and non-self, for, for learning to let go. And for learning to see how our mind clings, to watch how we cling to our experiences, and, and to learn, therefore, thereby to see the mind. You watch the body in this way and you learn exactly how the mind works. Because it's the mind that's doing the watching, right? Either way, this whole discussion talks about how to purify the mind. You practice in this way, um, eventually it leads to uh, insight. If you practice samatha, it's sort of roundabout. You practice seeing without looking. If it's vipassana, it's direct, but it's looking without seeing. And eventually you get to the point where you're looking and you're seeing. And that's when you have this purity of mind that leads to insight. That's what we're aiming for. So the next, the, the uh, purifications f three to seven all have to do with wisdom. The first one was sila, morality. The second one is samadhi, concentration. And once you practice samadhi, then it leads to panya, or wisdom, which we'll deal with from here on in. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll go to the questions page, see if there are any questions. Edit. Good evening, Edit. Edit is one of my recent graduates here from our meditation center. I should have had an interview with her before she left, but I think we were too busy with trying to go see Niagara Falls. As I focus on an experience, Rising, falling, sitting, touching. There are just a few moments, and between these moments, there's nothing, no experience, not prominent enough. So it feels forced to s me send my mind back to seek out what's happening. What is the object in meditation in this case? Is there anything to note? There is. You could, um, but I wouldn't unless it's it's um, prominent. Like if it feels starts to feel calm or quiet, like your mind is perfectly quiet apart from that then you should note that. Stop rising, falling, sitting, touching. Instead say calm, calm, or quiet, quiet. But just thinking about the fact that there's stuff in between each of these notings isn't, isn't important to us. The noting isn't mindfulness. Noting is a tool that leads to mindfulness. It's more, likely, more like tirasanya, the proximate cause of mindfulness. So it's enough to be noting, say, rising, falling, sitting, touching, for you to see everything else as well for you to be able to see all the things that you're not noting. 
Um, so really just note the major aspects of the experience. And then if something distracts you from them, note that. Please do not ask questions. I just want to know our tradition. So, okay, questions um, ideally are, are, are restricted to our Buddhist tradition, which means the meditation practice that I teach. Um, sorry, so sorry, the meditation practice I teach or general Buddhist philosophy from a Theravada point of view. So if you're interested in Buddhist concepts, Generally, I'm okay to answer them unless it's really, really theoretical or that kind of thing. But if it's about, hey, I practice this Zen technique or this Tibetan Buddhist technique, what do you think of this? Or that, any question about it is not something I'm into answering. So, yes, general Buddhist philosophy, from my point of view, I, I'm open to it within reason. But if it's specifically about a different technique, then no, not not open to that the more I read the Pali Canon I get the feeling that reality is breaking and that makes me afraid well fear is a reality so you focus on that as your meditation object mm. meditation does not matter but purely on the intellectual level yeah we'll deal with the fear or the feeling of of the feeling of fear that's reality it's a part of reality so focus on that reality we would say to ourselves afraid afraid or if you're thinking about it say thinking thinking i'm starting to feel apathetic in regards to the physical world and what people communicate about in day-to-day -day life things that have helped me so far with this is just more meditation yeah absolutely that's fine i mean what does it mean to be apathetic? It means you're no longer you're no longer caught up in it, right? You you have this freedom. Those things could never bring you. Why you become apathetic? Because you realize they're just more stress. And there are two kinds of apathy. One is through mindfulness and wisdom, and one is through ignorance and delusion. So you have to be careful that if you're apathetic, then you note that and be mindful of that as well. But there arises a general, not apathy, but I guess a dis disinterest at least. You know, a sort of a, an aloofness or a freedom whereby you're no longer caught up in it. But if it's this angst, this feeling of boredom or, or uh, dislike, that's more preliminary. I mean, it is kind of wise in the sense that you realize these things are useless, but suppose people are talking about useful things and it really makes you upset or annoyed or or just bored by it so you have to be careful that it doesn't become aversion or even ego thinking i'm so much better than these useless people who are talking about useless things which that's unwholesome so just be careful of that but otherwise there's a certain in a certain way you become apathetic instead of sympathetic sympathetic in the sense of getting caught up in them What are your thoughts on doing the Om chant? So this is an example of something not in our tradition. I don't, I get these questions. What are your thoughts on X? And the thing is, I don't think about X. In the context of tonight's talk, I mean, it's a bit interesting because yes, that's a sort of a tranquility meditation focusing on a concept. And so it works, it calms the mind down. But 
in terms of our practice, I mean, I just don't think about that sort of thing. It's not really it's in the purvey of purvey of what I do. And that's all the questions. So thank you all again for tuning in. Have a good night.